bright-sighted. She went into this, this victim narcissism sort of thing. Uh, she apologized to the victims, but then said that she herself was a victim and that she never, uh, she wished that she had never met Jeffrey Epstein. And, uh, I, I, you know, she described him as a manipulative, cunning and controlling man who fooled everyone in his orbit. You know, she said the pain, she said she felt sorry for the pain that his victim, his victims experienced. And she said, quote, it is, it is the greatest regret of my life that I ever met Jeffrey Epstein. She did not apologize to the victims. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. Dr. John Boyle is accused of killing his wife, Noreen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania. The 12-year-old son finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. It was about this loud. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty. When I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself and it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Hey, movers, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Murder. I'm your host, Collier Landry, and what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Well, another week, and what a week it has been. Lots of things to discuss in this episode, but first I want to say thank you to all of you who have come here via TikTok or found me on social media or just joining the podcast for the first time. Thank you for joining us and thank you for supporting. And speaking of support, I want to say thank you to my latest Patreon subscribers, Michelle Bella and Ansley Saunders. Thank you guys so much for your support of my Patreon, which if you guys are curious is patreon.com forward slash call your Landry. You can find it in the show notes if you want to support. And thank you guys for supporting me on my socials. Uh, anything at call your Landry on TikTok, Instagram. Those of you that join me on my Instagram lives. Okay. Um, Wow. Yes. What a week it has been. Um, there was a Supreme Court case. There was a couple of Supreme Court cases that were decided. Um, and it's very crazy. I think the biggest sort of news out of the week in the true crime world has been the another predatory case, but a much bigger one that involved many, many people's lives and innocent victims and young girls, underage girls that were groomed by the one and only Ghislaine Maxwell, who was sentenced on Tuesday of this week to 20 years in prison uh, for her role in grooming young women for Jeffrey Epstein, who, of course, as we all know, evaded any sort of justice by taking his own life uh, while incarcerated. Either he was awaiting trial or he was waiting to be arraigned. I can't really remember which, but um, yeah, the dude took the easy way out and Ghislaine uh, was left to face the music. And we want to talk a little bit about that because she was basically saying, I was left to face the music. 
first though, as you guys know, I always do a letter from one of my readers or when you guys reach out to me on DMs, on Instagram, TikTok, whatever the social media platform, Twitter, uh, I read all that stuff or I try to read it as much as possible because now it keeps growing and growing. And um, I try to get to them, I try to respond to you guys and I definitely try to read them on the program to respond. So this is from Daniela and Daniela reached out to me on uh, Instagram the other day. And this is what she says. She says, Collier, I found your podcast after watching your interview with Chris Hansen and have since binged nearly every episode. My birth father, Dan Allen, was one of the predators caught on to catch a predator in the Riverside Sting. During my early childhood, Dan stalked and harassed my mother. He was eventually arrested, had meth, disguises, and a gun in his vehicle. After he was convicted and sent to prison he, and released, I was abandoned by not only him, but also by his entire family. Sounds familiar. My family never spoke about Dan, and I was reminded often by my mother to not share my experience with others because it would cause them to look at me differently. I was 14 when he was caught on To Catch a Predator, and as a young teen, I can remember reading the chat logs, looking at the explicit photos he sent to a decoy that was my age, and watching his To Catch a Predator segment on repeat trying to make sense of it. I shared this with very few people because of not only my immense shame, but also the fear that I had somehow inherited his monster DNA. I spoke publicly about my appearance for the first time on Chris Hansen's podcast last year, which is Predators I Caught, uh, and Chris was awesome on the show. Um, like you say on your podcast, finally sharing it was not only a form of therapy, but also reconciliation. I guess I am writing to say thank you for your willingness to dive deep into the far-reaching consequences of violent crime, family estrangement, stigmatization of children, internalized shame. I've yearned to hear stories like mine since I was a kid. I appreciate you, your courage, and your steadfast approach to life. You are making such a big difference. Thank you from the bottom of my heart and keep telling your story sending you good vibes, my friend. Um, wow, Daniela, that is incredible. Thank you for sharing. And I know there's a long winded message for a lot of you, but it, this is why I do what I do. 100%. This is why I started, I, I did my film of murder Mansfield. This is why I started telling my story. This is why I, I do this stuff. I, I make the podcast movie past murder that you're going to listen to now and why I share my story on social media platforms like TikTok because of this exact thing. So you guys know 100% that you are not alone, that there is no reason to feel shame or guilt or any of these feelings, these negative feelings, uh, because this is really tough stuff to deal with. It's tough stuff to deal with when you're a child and have your father be someone like this. And then, and you know, seeing this on the news or seeing this on a television program, which was immensely popular and the subject of a lot of scrutiny via YouTube or social media channels or the blogs, like she was saying, my heart goes out to you, Daniela, and I'm so glad that you have found solace in my words and what it is. And I'm so glad that you connected with Chris and we're on his podcast because that's really cool because that is a really amazing way for you to round trip all of this for you because that's one of the things that I was able to do. And I, and I, and this is going to lead me into what we're going to talk about in this episode. But the thing for me is I feel like when I made my film, A Murder in Mansfield, I felt, I didn't realize that at the time that I was making the film. I mean, I knew, I knew it's sort of, but I guess I didn't realize how important it has become to not only me, but my platform and how it has become for you guys in my audience, because 
being able to sort of, I think one of the things when you go through extreme trauma is making sense of it all because it doesn't make any sense, right? And, you know, we've talked, or I've talked many times to people in this program, Tara Newell, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Angel Iskovich, we were talking about the art of routine, right? And how that can lead you through trauma. Talking to Chris Hansen himself, talking to others, right? And one of the things when you're in trauma is, is you're trying to sort of reconcile like why these things happen and how you're going to cope with it and like what's next. And I, you know, I have done in my TED talk, I've mentioned, you know, like your why to what now, right? You, you kind of are trying to assess when you go through these traumatic experiences, why did this happen? Like, why did this happen to me or other people uh, around you? And then trying to figure out what you're going to do about it. And I always, I always say that trauma often, you can lead yourself through your trauma by just sort of taking hold of it and, and not feeling victimized by it, but more so feeling uh, empowered by it. And, you know, because you do go into like what Daniela describes is, you know, the shame, the guilt, and, you know, the, her mother saying, you know, don't share this experience with other people because they will judge you, which is unfortunately very true. It, it really is. I felt that growing up, even though I was in, I mean, I was in the community where my, the murder of my mother occurred, where we were from. So it was really amplified for me because I had a lot of people that supported me, but I also had a lot of people that were, did not support me or did not believe that my father was guilty or, uh, looked at me in a lot of ways, uh, as if I was the prodigal son, for lack of a better word, I was going to do the same thing. So I understand and I, and, and, you know, I've done several episodes about this, like questioning if this is really in my DNA, am I capable of something like this? So Daniela, I completely understand where you're coming from because, uh, I felt the same thing. And I'm so grateful that you were able to find this program and find what I'm doing and find another kindred spirit, because that's really what it is. It's about building your community around you, your trauma community, your survivor community, and the people and really discuss these things openly and also finding an action. And with, with me was making the film, confronting my father in prison, right? There's those moments. There's also that sort of circadian thing. I came out to Hollywood and then I, I got into the business in order to tell my story and did that, right? She got on Chris's podcast, was able to talk to Chris, who was the man who got her father arrested for his, uh, his predatory, sexually predatory behavior towards minors. And, you, you know, and, and sort of have that, I mean, in a lot of ways, she could blame Chris for, uh, you know, getting her father in trouble. That's a very easy thing to do, right? Um, she could she could project that onto him, uh, especially when she was a child, when it's happened younger. So for her to be able to have those moments with Chris on the podcast, I have to listen to this episode of the podcast now, um, to be able to have that, it, it really does tie it up for her. And that is something that is amazing. It is so empowering. I cannot tell you how much. And and just to have this, I cannot tell you how this is, how empowering this is for me makes me feel really good that I am helping with listeners' mental health, with their, uh, with them leading them through things like narcissistic abuse and things of that nature. And, and this guilt and the shame and these stigmas that come around these things, because there shouldn't be, we are all human. People make mistakes and things like of that nature. This is, this is the underlying root problem of all of this (laughs) is, is this sort of, uh, uh, flying above 
you know, flying in the face, flying high in the face of the law, uh, or or the face of it, being indignant is really what it is. It's this sort of indignance that a lot of these people have when they're caught. Instead of just saying, "Hey, look, I did wrong. Let's fix this." This they kind of double down. When you double down on your badness, uh, that is that makes it worse because then it it shows that you don't really think that what you did was wrong. I mean, my father has done that. My father being a sociopath and a narcissist right now, he has not been properly diagnosed. And look, look, I am not a psychologist, but I've just been dealing with this my entire life. So, and I, so I speak from experience as you all know, but when you double down and, or you're defensive and you're, you're like a lot of times, these people don't think that what they did was wrong. (laughs) So they double down and, and it's like, oh, well, okay, now if I have to apologize or I guess I did something wrong, but they really at the fundamental core of what they're doing, uh, does they do not think that what they did was wrong. And this leads me into what I was going to say about Ghislaine Maxwell. So Ghislaine Maxwell this week was sentenced to 20 years in prison. The prosecution was like, I think they were shooting for like 30 or I don't know, 19 to 30. 50 years or 35 years or something like it was a big number and a justifiable number for sure, considering the collateral damage of her actions and that of Epstein's. Um, but, uh, they, she ended up getting 20 years. And why I'm saying this is, uh, you know, obviously this is federal court. There's no cameras allowed in. There's no, uh, you know, there's only, it's only people listening. They can, they can recount what they've heard, but, Apparently, Ghislaine, before she was sentenced, went up into like the little booth, which is now like all covered in plexiglass because of COVID and things like that. But basically said, in a nutshell, from what I have read online and from what I have heard (laughs) is she went into this, this victim narcissism sort of thing. Uh, she apologized to the victims, but then said that she herself was a victim and that she never, uh, she wished that she had never met Jeffrey Epstein. And, uh, you know, she described him as a manipulative, cunning and controlling man who fooled everyone in his orbit. You know, she said the pain, she said she felt sorry for the pain that his victim, his victims experienced. And she said, quote, it is. This, it is the greatest regret of my life that I ever met Jeffrey Epstein. Okay. She said she was sorry for the pain that the, that his victims experienced. She did not apologize to the victims like this Annie Farmer, who has been one of these leaders, I believe in the Epstein case, who was one of the original people to come forward. I believe her, her, her younger sister was also groomed by Glee Maxwell and abused by Epstein and his cronies. Uh, you know, she, she had one of the, cur- the courage to really, because uh, again, a lot of these victims felt a lot of guilt and shame, which is not their fault. And when you are being groomed and when you are being manipulated by these people and you're being gaslit, you are being coerced and controlled by them and it's don't tell anybody it's oh this is good and for those of you that don't really know and i um i i would say that i haven't been groomed but i have actually when i think about it because even though i'm not a victim of sexual assault or sexual violence in that way from my father 
I have had other abuses, but um, I think that the grooming, a lot of that took place after my father was in prison is as I read these letters, which all of you, when I read them on the podcast, you can hear just the sort of the grooming and the, the, the guilt and all of these things. And, you know, much of his, the content of his letters over almost a 30 year period have all trickled down to one thing, which is getting me to rescind my testimony against him because I was the key witness for the prosecution at 12 years old. And because I had led investigators to the discovery of my mother's body and those things. So I think that, uh, you know, he was always grooming for that because if I had ever come forward and said, you know what, look, I was coached. I was manipulated by the system. The prosecutor told me to say this. The detectives told me to say this, Dave Messmore, uh, you know, he would get out immediately. I mean, immediately as a, you know, a couple of days, but he, he would be released from prison because that would be the crux of the case. Right. So I believe that from a very young age, because I was the, sort of the crux of the case, right. Uh, that my father was grooming me to rescind my testimony. I mean, it was, it's very apparent when you read the letters, when I read them to you guys, uh, on the show, when I read them on TikTok, uh, it's very clear <laughs> what he wants and what he wants me to do and, and his objective. Right. So manipulating a young man whose mother you murdered is terrible, like a young child. And it, it's terrible. It's just, it's the lowest of the lowest beyond the pale. Um, so again, Glenn Maxwell going up there, not admitting her, her, not really taking ownership for her role in all of this, which is she was the, she was like the shell or she was like the shell. She was the shell for Epstein, his girlfriend. You can trust her. Oh, I'm on your side. Let me get you a purse. Let me get you some fancy dinners. And all these things are very attractive to to, you know, a, a, a young person in society, they're attractive to anyone really. But when you think about if you're a, if you're a young person, when people are paying attention to you in a, in a way that is very, um, that is very outside the norm and you become very almost sexualized. I mean, obviously they were sexualized, but people are paying a lot of attention to you. And that's one of the things, you know, which I will talk about in another episode, but when I came to Los Angeles, you know, um, I became a model. I quickly got myself in very good shape and I kind of discovered this whole world of like, Oh, there are a lot of people that are, that are attracted to you. And it's, it's a lot, it's overwhelming. And I was you know 23 years old at the time, not 14. Uh, you know, you, and as a woman and having people fawn over you and, and buy you gifts, I mean, it's a lot, especially, and especially if you come from a broken background where you've never had anything like that. Often these people, that are in these situations um, that that are grooming the individuals for this predatory behavior to to prey upon them. Uh, they do this to you know buy their trust and to earn their trust and to uh, you know welcome your part of the family. And then if you're part of the family, you're not going to tell what our little secrets are, right? And, and I mean, we all know the story. I mean, this is the history of 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 you know uh, of pedophilia and of of you know child molestations and in, in you know in the Catholic church and in through religion and not religion per se, but you know, in, you know, in situations where, where people of power are exuding that power over other individuals, that's really at the core of this. And this is what it is. So to have Maxwell go up there and basically say that she is a victim, just like everyone else, uh, is almost insulting. And the judge apparently saw it that way because the Department of Probation uh, had recommended that she get between 15 and 17 years. And he said, no, 20 or he or she, the judge said 20 years. 
uh, obviously was not moved by <laughs> Miss Maxwell's uh, appeal to the court <laughs> and decided to just say, no, I'll give you 20. Like uh, you, you doubled down. You came up here. You didn't apologize. You doubled down. Try to make yourself into a victim. Yeah. 20 years. No problem. Give it away like it's candy as uh, Henry Hill's or as uh, Henry Hill's character played by Ray Liotta. God rest his soul in Goodfellas. Gave, gave us five years like he was giving away candy or 10 years or whatever it was. Anyways, gave to her 20 years like she he or she was giving away candy is what I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah, victim narcissist. I'm a victim just like you is. And that's not to say that, you know, she wasn't uh, she wasn't manipulated by Epstein or she wasn't under some sort of coercive control from Epstein. But she knew what she was doing. She knew what she was doing. She knew why she was doing it. She was also a high society person who really, to quite to be honest, from everything that I've come to know about her, your father owned a newspaper, I believe. And, I, and I've talked about this in a past episode, but again, it's sort of vague, the details. But, you know, she came from a very wealthy background and a wealthy family and didn't have to go down this road, which I think is what makes it all the more obvious that she was doing this because she is also a predator. She has no reason, no benefit. You know, a lot of times people will do when they are put in positions where they have an opportunity to have their own personal advancement or their advancement of their family. Like look at the mafia, for example. Uh, you know, the mafia will often, you know, it's a family, right? La Cosa Nostra, right? You have these you know, individuals that are looking out for their family members and want to better their family by making, you know, hordes of money illegally and putting their own lives at risk and things, but doing things, horrible things to other people. But the end goal is like there were a street kid that was raised in, you know, Bedford Stuyvesant and, and joined a gang and then joined a street gang and then became a mafia, a mafia hitman or whatever. But they're doing it for their sort of own survival. A lot of times. I think that somebody like, Glee Maxwell, in my opinion, was doing it for their own pleasure. <laughs> they got pleasure. They derived pleasure from doing these things or covering up these things. And so it's a very interesting time in our society and a very interesting time, like I said, in the sort of true crime world is when these, you know, the, these predators have these people that, I don't know, join along for the party, I guess. Uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's wild. But the damage, all back to the damage, the victims, the survivors, the people who have shown strength in the face of adversity, you are to be commended because it takes a lot of fucking balls. It takes a lot of balls to stare this down, to not let this derail your life. So if anyone is listening that has been through this or been through this situation, whether it's with Epstein or others, I commend you for your courage because... It is not easy taking, you know, it, you can be you know, taking the easy way out, such as a coward like Epstein, a piece of shit like Jeffrey Epstein, taking his own life in his cell because he can't face it. My father, who, who, when I bring up this letter in my film, A Murder in Mansfield, trying to get his reaction of like, why, when I asked you to please come clean about my mother's murder so I could move on with my life so everyone could do it for you as well. 
he came back with the victim narcissist response of, well, I can't tell you what I was thinking at the time, but I was very low in my life and I even contemplated suicide. Like, okay, we're supposed to feel sorry for you for murdering my mother. And I, this brings me to a point. Uh, I found a letter recently as I'm going through these because I'm putting these together for a book. I'm actually putting together a tour that is going to happen hopefully in 2023. It's going to happen in 2023. I'm really excited about it. I've talked about it a little bit on my IG lives. It has been a goal of mine to do this, but podcast first, then we'll get into these other things. Um, but I'm putting together these letters that my father has sent me. And there is a very interesting line that struck me. So this is written to me in 2007. It was on my birthday, which is February 28th, for those of you uh, adding to the Amazon wish list or shopping list. Just kidding. He starts to say me this sort of woe is me. And he, he opens the letter. And I believe at the time I was dealing with a, a fallout. So Wednesday evening, February 28th, 2007. Dear Bumper, I was Dutch gave me your letter this afternoon. I was very happy to hear from you, but I am sorry you had to go through such a horrible mess. I can relate firsthand about losing everything at the hands of unscrupulous individuals. <laughs> it has been a bitter lesson for me personally and the repercussions on you and Chrissy. So Chrissy is my uh, half-sister that was born for 12 days before my father was arrested uh, for the murder of my mother. Um, she was the child of his mistress, Sherry, and uh, yeah, he can relate. So <laughs> it's, 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 it's stunning. And then I'm going to cut to the end of the letter and it says, we have both survived some pretty rotten times over the past 17 years. I look for our futures to be bright and successful. Stay safe and alert. Keep the faith always. I love and miss you bundles of bundles. Bundles and bundles. Love XOXO daddy. Um, oh, and happy birthday, he says. Uh, again, this is very similar to like what Ghislaine Maxwell is saying. So, oh, I can relate. I can relate to you victims. I can relate because I was also a victim. Never mind what I perpetrated on you. Never mind the grooming. Never mind the way that we were sex. That that uh, the, the way that I brought you into this world. The way that there were these uh, that the, I put you into these certain scenarios with very rich and powerful men that were then going to take advantage of you sexually, uh, rob you of your innocence of your childhood. Um. It is beyond the pale. <laughs> it's and it's staggering because to me, I, I really feel like, um, you know, this is, uh, you know, I, again, Daniela with her, with her message through Instagram, you know, um, you think about these individuals and then if you're related to them, does that carry on through your DNA? And, and, you know, one of the other things I wanted to discuss today was, how do you deal with a narcissist parent? <laughs> you know, how do you deal when your parent is a narcissist and they put you through this type of trauma and they inflict this type of trauma on other people? That's the worst. It's not only when 
you you have a narcissistic parent that puts this trauma on you, but then puts trauma on other people and then tries to make it somehow relate back to you that you're in the same boat as them because of their absolutely horrific actions. And that's what my father did. That's what my father is trying to relate to me here. You know, never mind that he's been telling me he's innocent of murdering my mother over the years and things of that nature. And even though I witnessed it and I testified and he's always trying to get me to rescind this testimony. Uh, and, and I guess, you know, a lot of people reach out to me on like, how do I deal with this? Like, how do I deal with my father's behavior? How do I reconcile all of that? And to be honest with you, again, as I was saying in response to Daniela's comment is it's almost like you, you, you bring these things full circle. If you're fortunate enough to be able to bring these things full circle, it's amazing because you're doing exactly that. But if you can't, there are other ways to cope because I had to deal with not bringing it full circle for 25, 26 years. So, uh, one of the ways that I would do that and I would cope is I would say early on when I still didn't really understand, I still don't, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I'm in my forties now. I still don't quite understand where where the moment was that I realized, actually I do, I, I do, but I don't quite really understand the impact of the narcissism or when I realize it, but I do remember when it was. And it was actually when my father and I get up from the table in a murder in Mansfield, the photos like right over my shoulder. For those of you on YouTube, it goes that way. That's me confronting my father in prison, Mary correctional institution. Um, I remember getting up when he, we got up and I, and I, hugged him and I said, I love you, pop. And which I didn't even remember doing until a New York times journalist asked me about it. I, uh, I, I realized I, I said, I think I turned to my director, Barbara Koppel. And I, and I said, can somebody please just tell me that, that the same blood that courses my veins doesn't course that man's veins. Like we're not related because I don't know what I was just dealing with. Cause it was just so vapid and empty and I was getting no response. And I think that's a lot of times when you, uh, when you have this narcissistic parent, they are just completely oblivious of all of their actions, whether that abuse is inflicted to you, whether that abuse is inflicted to you and your siblings, your, your parental figure, your mother or father, uh, or, or other people outside of your home. I mean, I had a friend that I grew up with in high school. And uh, his father was the baseball coach. And many, many years later, um, it came out that he was uh, molesting some of those young players, which was heartbreaking. Heartbreaking for a lot of reasons, because uh, I didn't play baseball, fortunately. <clears throat> but his son was a friend of mine. He went, we went to the same school. I mean, he was a, a year older than I am. And... Uh, I can't imagine the pain that he had to go through. I mean, and this, this news broke out probably when he was almost 30 or early thirties, I think, uh, still doesn't make it any less painful. And to hear this, this about your father who you've grown up idolizing and not realize, because a lot of times when these situations happen and these narcissists are in control, whether they're a baseball coach or a church pastor, or, you know, they're the guy that runs the local subway shop. I don't know. Uh, or they're a rich and powerful uh, business magnet. Uh, it doesn't matter who they are. It's really, it's very, very painful. And it's very painful to reconcile and to deal with that and to, to think that you could be related to these people. So again, back to what Daniela is saying, I'm, 
when I relate to my father being a narcissist, it did take me a while once I discovered like really what narcissism is and what the habits are and the things that make you a narcissist because I just used to think it's like, you know, portrait of Dorian Gray, right? Okay. You're looking at yourself in the mirror and whatever, uh, you know, uh, that whole sort of thing with narcissism or narcissists, right? Oh, I look, you know, I look at myself. Oh, pretty today. That's being narcissistic, but that is not a narcissist. <laughs> it's quite different. And, uh, these behaviors are so destructive and it, it almost comes down to like the sort of epigenetics of it all. I was engaging in another, with another individual on uh, a wonderful young woman who uh, on Instagram and uh, she's an influencer in Florida and she, uh, you know, she's going through it with her daughter and she's gone through it herself and the, and the, the father's not around and uh, the, the father could care less if it seems like, I mean, I don't know the, the whole story of their the whole background, of their story, but and of course, you know, you get into abusive relationships and then there's a pattern and you get into another abusive relationship thinking things will change. And it's just, it's so unfortunate. It's heartbreaking. It's like, oh my God. Um, but, you know, again, it's when you start to recognize these patterns, you start to go, oh, well, could this be me? But she, she was, you know, really getting very heavily into uh, uh, EMDR therapy. And I, actually, she's going to be on the program. So uh, she said she would be on the show. So I can't wait to have her. Her name is Kendra. And, uh, she was getting very heavily into EMDR and she w was saying that that's really helping her cope with that. So there's things she, you know, hope, you know, there's a lot of discussion about epigenetics and passed down trauma through childhood, uh, you know, from generational trauma, intergenerational trauma. And it's, she's really engaged in like really dove deep into this in the last couple of years to, cause she obviously as a mother wants to protect her daughter, of course. And wants to protect herself and her family and, and know that she's doing the right thing. And I think that a lot of times when you have these narcissistic parents, you don't want to carry on those traits. You don't want to be a destructive person. I mean, look, at the end of the day, we all want to put their head, I think at least we all want to put our head on the pillow and know that we've done a lot more good than we have harm. At least I do, <laughs> you know, uh, or at least if the harm I do is only to myself and not other individuals, <laughs> um, you know, doing stupid things. But, uh, no, in all seriousness, I think that, uh, you know, we want to be, I think, despite all of the craziness of this world, and I, I've said this ad nauseum on this program over many episodes, I will continue to say it. Probably I will die on this hill, but the world is a wonderful and beautiful place. You can't let these things skew you in a way that you let them destroy and control you because it is so easy. It is so easy for that to happen. And it is so difficult to not let it happen, right? So difficult to let it not happen and to resist that, to resist carrying on the patterns of behavior, to resist being destructive to others. And look, I am far from a perfect individual. <laughs> I am not on a soapbox here to say that I'm some perfect individual. I have made plenty of mistakes in my relationship, my romantic relationships in life, uh, my friendships in life, professional relationships. I am a human being. I am flawed to the core. I will continue to be flawed till the day I take my last breath. Uh, but I try my best to learn from experiences and to, again, do a lot more good than I do harm. I don't think narcissists feel that way because they don't think they're doing anything bad. As is the case with Galena Maxwell, 
as is the case with these other individuals that are being called out to the carpet for their behavior over the years. Uh, People like, you know, Harvey Weinstein. My father, like, blaming my mother in a past episode, discussing almost insinuating that my mother deserved to be killed or my mother got herself killed. You know, it's always someone else's fault but their own. They're always blame casting and gaslighting. And you made me feel that you did this to me. So therefore, I I had to react. I had to do... <laughs> I You dropped an egg on the floor, so I had to beat the living shit out of you. <laughs> like, it's always... They, 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 they use these very minuscule behaviors to really justify their overt and complete just uh, uh, destruction. And that is just the way of the narcissist. So for me, trying to reconcile that has taken a lifetime and I'm still doing it every day. I just try not to repeat those behaviors that I've seen in my father. I try to learn from them and and explore them and discuss them as I do on this program, as I have done in the movie. Uh, I, I, I really do. And, I, and I'm in talk therapy too. I discuss these things with my therapist on a weekly basis. I use an app where I get my therapy from. And uh, I talk to this individual every week and, I, and we discuss these things amongst other things, mostly my, my failed romantic relationships. That's pretty much what we, what we talk about. But we also talk about my father and uh, my childhood. But, uh, you know, but in all seriousness, uh, you know, it's a, it takes a lifetime of work. It really is just doing the work. And it really is just just showing up, being present and saying, okay, I'm not going to be this individual and I'm not going to let these individuals change me. I'm not going to let their absolutely abhorrent behavior change the person that I am and the fundamental core of who I am and what I stand for in this world and the mark that I want to leave on this world. I'm not going to let them do that. Uh, And that is the true definition of self-empowerment, of empowering yourself through these traumatic circumstances and coming out the other side, you got your cuts, you got your bruises, some scrapes, you know, maybe broke a bone or two, but you survived. And kudos to those who have survived the chaos of Annie, of Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell, to those who say who survived sexual assault in other ways or, or been the victims of predatory behavior, to those of you who have survived murder. To those of you who survived all of these horrible circumstances that are challenging in your life, I am here for all that to say you are loved, you are wonderful, and you are deserving of love. And I have a hard time telling myself that. As I said, I talk to my therapist every week about these, all these constantly failed romantic relationships. What did I do wrong here? What did I do wrong there? You know, whatever. Um, we all have our thing, but understand that you are capable of love, that you are worthy of love, that you are able to receive love. You are not too damaged to receive love. You got to be open to all of it. It is easier said than done. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Easier said than done, but it is a lifetime's worth of work, but doing the work and sharing that work with others is exponentially rewarding as it is for me on this program. But you know what? That's what I think. I want to hear what you guys think. And uh, I'd like to take a survey right now from you guys. And there's going to be a survey link in the show notes 
uh, about today's, about what kind of content you guys would like to see from me for this program. Uh, what, what things are really resonating with you? Is it when I talk about things like I did today and my own personal experiences and sort of rapping about what's going on in popular culture at the moment, right? And, 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 uh, and true crime. Is it when I read my father's letters and share those experiences or talk about my childhood and going through the, the murder and, and the investigation and the trial and growing up in the shadows of the narcissist and in the shadows of a murderer and being judged and looked about that still get judged for that, by the way, still people go, Oh, well, I don't know. His dad was a murderer came up last week. As a matter of fact, came up last week. Oh, can you trust that guy? He's a little, I don't know. I don't know. He talks about a lot of that stuff. He's related. I mean, we're, we're humans. We're judgy. <laughs> we are opinionated for sure. And so anyways, what material is really speaking to you guys? Because at the end of the day, I do this program for me. It is a great way for me to reconcile my trauma and to share my story and my experiences with you guys, my audience. But again, it is all about you. And I want to give you the content that resonates most with you guys as my audience. So on that note, I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio in association with RSA Entertainment. Please visit mpmpodcast.com to show your support today.